Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team, for that beautiful singing. As we mentioned, we, did, we are planning on communion at the close of our service, and if you haven't received one of your packets, you're welcome to get up now. There's some here on the communion table. There's some in the back. Don't be bashful. Don't feel bad. You can just get up right now and go back and get one so that you'll be uh, ready for that later on in our service. And if you're watching online, we, we're so glad that you are, and we want to encourage you also to prepare elements at home so that you can be a part of our time of communion a little bit later on. We want to welcome everyone. I know we have college students who are still with us for a couple of more days. It's great to see each one of you. We hope that you've had a relaxing time and you're ready to attack a new semester here just in a few days. But we want to welcome them and other folks who are visiting and Jenna's family. We want to welcome them also. And um, I just wanted to mention, you may have noticed we have a lot of flowers on the uh, down front today, and this is in honor of our dear brother, Harry Nuss, who went home to be with the Lord just a few days ago. Harry was um, one of the like founding members of the church, and a dear friend and a great friend to really our whole church family. They, his family hosted our men and boys camp out for many, many years, and Harry literally worked on every building on our property. Uh, finishing, he was a cement finisher, and he helped lay the pour the foundations for this building, for the family center, just all throughout our property, and um, and uh, he's home with the Lord now, and he'd been in declining health for a couple of years, but uh, we we remember him today with these flowers, and um, and we want to keep his family in our prayers, and and I wanted to take a minute and just. Thank you for being a loving church family and for caring for one another. I received a note from Larry and Pat Brister, and Pat's father passed away just recently, and, and she was sharing uh, just a big thank you for the ministry we had in their life. And it says, uh, thank you for the thoughtful plant, the many cards, and encouraging notes over the past few months. It's a blessing to know the Lord and the closeness that we feel among God's family. And she goes on to share what a blessing that was. Her, her husband, her father was Chester, and Chester Peach, and he attended here uh, over the past few years when he was able. He was an older man who really, um, he probably, he couldn't really hear very well at all, so I don't think he really heard my sermons. But he was here anyway, and um, he was a dear dear man, and he went home to be with the Lord as well, but just the way that you reach out to others to encourage them and be with them. I know a lot of folks were here yesterday with the Nuss family, and we appreciate that so very much. Well, this morning, I want to start off by telling you a little joke, and maybe you'll get some, you guys will do better than the first service crowd, maybe. It's about this, it was about this fellow, you know, and it was probably maybe the new year. I don't know. He woke up on a Sunday morning, and it was time to go to church. But instead of, his wife had already got up, she was getting ready, and instead of him getting ready, he just pulled the cover back over his head and rolled over like he was going back to sleep. And his, his wife said, honey, you've got to get up and get ready. We've got to go to church. And he says, no, I'm not going back to that place. Those people don't even like me. And she said, honey you're a child of God. You're supposed to be in the house of God. You need to get up and get ready to go to church. And he said, no, uh, I'm, I'm tired of that church. I'm not going back to those people. And she finally, she said, honey, you're the pastor. You have to get ready and go to church. You've got to preach today. 
Well, I don't know how many of you uh, struggled to come to church today. You're here, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, too. But, you know, even pastors sometimes don't feel like doing all of those things we're supposed to do. And, and that's really what I want to talk about, is how we can find strength moving forward into a new year. And what is the best motivation that we can have for following after God? And as we begin a new year, I want to encourage us all in our spiritual walk. According to God's word, what is the most effective way to grow and to, be a, to mature as a follower of Jesus Christ? And um, we're going to look at that this morning. So I want to invite you to take your Bible and look with me in God's word in Galatians chapter 4. Now, uh, Galatians is all the way near the back of your Bible. It's in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And if you happen not to have your Bible, or maybe you're new to finding your way around the Scriptures, you can just use the Black Pew Bible there in front of you. And in that Bible, all you have to do is turn to page 1,339, page 1339, and that's going to bring you to Galatians chapter 4. And of course, uh, the, the, the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was actually a letter that he sent to a group of churches, because Galatia, where he wrote this letter to, it was not a city. Galatia was like a province. It was like the entire region of, of, of my, uh, Asia Minor. And so there were several churches there, and Paul was writing to them because they were, they were young believers, they were young churches, and someone had infiltrated those churches, false teachers. And these teachers were, were telling them the wrong way to live the Christian life. And they were laying these burdens, and they were being very oppressive in telling these uh, believers, they said, now that you're a Christian, you know, if you're going to be a really good Christian, you need to keep this rule, and you need to keep this rule, and you need to be sure to do that, and do this other thing. And there were things that they were just kind of making up, that they were pulling some of them out of the Old Testament, and telling these New Testament believers that if you really want to be spiritual, the way to motivate you and yourself in your Christian walk is to keep all of these external rules. And Paul was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're adding to the gospel, you're adding to God's word, that's not right. And so in a sense, Galatians is all about finding the right motivation in our life and in our spiritual life. And and so um, we're going to look at that. You know, one of our adult Bible classes last year, they went through the whole book of Galatians, and then they went through the whole book of Ephesians, and they're getting ready to start an entirely new book of the Bible, and that's the class that meets out in the Family Center in the Commons. We have four adult Bible classes that meet uh, on Sunday mornings right before, the hour before this service, and we would encourage you to check some of those classes out. I think it would be an encouragement. I know that when this group, uh, the class went through Galatians, it was a blessing to a lot of those folks. And maybe some of you who are in that class, this will sound a little bit familiar to you today. So let's look here. And we're going to begin reading. And actually, we're going to start in the last verse of chapter 3, just to find some of the context. And then we'll read down through verse 7 of Galatians 4. Notice what God's Word says here. I'll read aloud, and you follow along with me if you would. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, 
though he is master of all. But he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, these seven verses, really, they contain a huge key to spiritual motivation, the right and the best spiritual motivation. That may not seem clear to you right now when you just read that. It's kind of wordy and a lot of, um, you know, there's children and there's heirs, there's slaves, and then there's law, and then there's some Bible words like redeem and adoption, and, and there's even a 70s rock band tucked away in there, you know, uh, where it says Abba, right? You know, take a chance, take a chance, take a chance on me. Do you remember that one? Now, some of you aren't going to listen to the rest of my sermon. You're just going to be like in your head. I want you to take a chance on me today, okay? It may not seem to clear to you right now, but I hope by the time we're done, you see the difference between the wrong way to approach spiritual walk with Christ and the right way or the best way. And really, the key is in two key verses, verse 3 and verse 6, Everything else kind of hinges on those two verses. Look at verse 3. He says, even so we, this is you and me, we were children, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. So first he says we were children, and that was bad. That was kind of a bad time, and that was like a slavery kind of way of doing, uh, doing spiritual life. But then in verse 6, he gives the contrast to that. He says, but because now you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, right away, we have to, we have to, do, we have to make a distinction. Because in the first verse, he says children, and you're like a child. This, this, the word here is like a four-year-old a five-year-old, a six-year-old little child. That's what he's talking about, and we're going to look more at that. But then in verse 6, he says, you are sons. Now, this is where we don't get everything. This isn't really common, but sometimes you don't get everything. The word son here is adult son. This, this is someone who is, they're a son, but they're 25, 27 years old. They are a fully mature adult who is the son of this wealthy business owner, and this son is like the heir of everything their father has, and they're an adult now. So that's the contrast. And, and, and we're going to look at this um, because, well, let's, let's just start in verse 1. We'll start in verse 1 because he kind of develops this idea of the son, I mean the child, I'm sorry. In verse 1 he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by his father. And he says, even so we, he said, we are just like that. You know, sometimes 
teachers and preachers use illustrations. And they'll find something that's very common and easy to understand, and they'll compare that to what they're trying to teach, something abstract. And so that's what Paul does here. He uses an illustration. The only problem is this illustration is 2,000 years old. So it's not common. We don't get what he's saying because it was for their time. So let me explain what he was saying so that we will get it, right? So in verse one, he's, in verses 1 and 2, he's talking about this, this wealthy family that, you know, have means, they have businesses, they have, you know, they have means, they have wealth, and they have a child. And their child is like four or five or six years old, this little boy. And, and, and he is like the son of this wealthy family. One day, he will inherit the businesses, the family business, and he'll be this powerful person who can make executive decisions and do business deals and just really move forward in a strong way in life. But he can't right now because he's only five. As a matter of fact, he's such a child that, you know, in the cases like this, his mother isn't even around him a lot. He has a nanny. It says a guardian here. And this would be like a nanny who's, who is a servant, but she's in charge of this wealthy little child who's going to be a big, powerful business person someday. Right now, uh, there's a nanny taking care of him. He probably has like a tutor who's like teaching him, who's a servant also, but they're teaching him. And, and so there's someone telling him what to do, what time to go to bed, go wash, your, go wash your face, go brush your teeth, go change your clothes. It's time to go to the bathroom. It's time to go to bed, eat your supper. There's someone over him that is like kind of, you know, telling him every little thing that he has to do because he's a child. He's immature. He has to have someone tell him what to do. And then it says that there's even stewards. Now, this, now the child is like 13 or 14, and he, and he can get around a little bit more. He's not, no one's telling him to brush his teeth, but there's still like a butler in the house. There's like a manager in the house who is also a servant, but this young person has to listen, has to be told what to do all, all through this growing up period. And so he said they're not that much different than a slave because there's someone always telling them what to do. And he says, that's you and me before we came to Christ. And he says, that's, we were just like that when we were, when were we children before Christ? Now, in the case of the Galatians in the church, there were Jewish believers, and they were they were children, and it goes on to say in verse 3, they were under the bondage of the elements of the world. So the Jewish people, they were in the Old Testament system, they, had, they were like in bondage to the law. And the law was like this tutor that was telling them, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, and then you've got to make this sacrifice over here, and you've got to keep this law over here, and had all of these laws that they had to try to manage, and, and, and it was like very stifling and very troubling and very difficult. They were constantly being told what to do by the law. It's almost like they were being nannied or being uh, held over by the bondage of the law. And it was not a really fun way to go about things, but that was what they had. And, and it's not that the Old Testament is bad or was bad. No, it wasn't at all. But the Old Testament was limited. Right? The Old Testament could only tell you what you should be doing. And, and, you, and that was mainly to point out, it was a tutor, it was a schoolmaster, chapter 3 says, because it, it helped them to realize 
I'm not very good at doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that was preparing them for the Savior. But what about the other half of the people that were in the church? These were the Gentiles, because Galatia was in Asia Minor. Galatia wasn't in Israel. So in the church there that Paul started, many times there would be many Jews in the church, but then there would be many non-Jews. And so the Gentiles were all of the non-Jews. The word Gentile simply means nations. And really anyone who is not a, a Jewish person is a Gentile. I mean, in biblical terms, you and I are Gentiles. And so they weren't in bondage to the law. They didn't even really know about the Old Testament law very much. They certainly didn't live under it. They were in bondage straight up to sin. And so they, they, were, they were bound in the baser elements of this world in their life. They were in bondage to things like fear. And they were in bondage to things like guilt and pressure, and even laws in their own heart that they knew they should be doing things, and they felt bad, they felt guilty, they felt like they were failing, and then there was fear, there was pressure, and they were told, and there were systems in their life that were very oppressive as well. You you have this going on, so how do you move forward in that kind of a situation? And see, that's the thing. Um, it's a, it's a very immature way about going about things. It's like, um, you know, if you have to tell uh, a five-year-old to do this and to do that and do the other thing, you think, well, yeah, you, you kind of have to do that some because they're five. But wait a minute. What if they're 25? How ridiculous is that? Your 25-year-old son and his mom's call him, did you brush your teeth? You know, uh, it's time to go to bed, son. You know, and sometimes when you have teenagers and you, you, you're writing that line, you know, where is that line between they're not a kid anymore, but they're not an adult anymore. And, and we get to the adult part in verse six, because now this same person is now an adult. They now they've they've grown up under all of that stuff. You know, they they know what that's like, but now they've 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 learned, they've grown, they've matured, they've learned to do all that stuff on their own, and now they've actually, you know, they've learned the family business. They've, they've done business, they've watched their dad do business deals. They've, they've learned a lot. They're mature, they're responsible. They do things on their own, and, and they're a mature adult person. They don't need mommy calling them to tell them, you know, did you uh, turn the lights off? Because they're doing that on their own, and that is what you want, right? That's what you want. And he says that's what we have in verse 6. This is an adult son who is ready to step into responsibility and handle the family affairs with maturity. They don't need micromanaging. They just need to be allow them to do this on their own. And he says that is what we want to be as Christians and as children of God. You know, and this, this, this kind of applies, there's some application here, for every young person in this room. Because what we're looking at here is just a natural progression of maturing. I mean, even as human beings, not just in the spiritual realm. You know, so, so the challenge in a new year for you as a young person or as a teenager is, okay, where am I going from I have to do this because I'm being made to do this, to, no, I want to do this because I want to do what is right, I want to do what is good for me, I want to be responsible. You're, you're in that process. You're in that process. And so you're making choices every day. 
about how mature am I going to act. You're in a process between being from a child to going to, you know, what we call today adulting, right? And that's a, that's a healthy process. That's a normal process. You want to go through that process because you don't want to be 16 or 17 years old and like people are like telling you every single little thing to do. That's no way to live. That's no fun. That's a very immature way of living. So it's, it's in a large measure, half of the equation is you as a person taking responsibility for where you're at in life and for handing, handling yourself in a, in a more mature fashion with a little more responsibility. And you know what you're doing? You're growing. You're growing. You're moving forward in a good way. Now, there are responsibilities that are appropriate for every age. For example, you can't say, oh, I'm 13 now. Dad, I want the keys to the car. I'm going to go take it out on my own. You can't do that when you're 13. <laughs> you can't do that. That's not appropriate yet. But what you could do is you could say, hey, Dad, would you please, maybe this year, could you take me over to the church parking lot and let me drive and start teaching me to drive? You can do that when you're 13. Well, I mean, I give you permission. You know, I don't know if your parents will. <laughs> you have my permission to use the church parking lot when there's no one here, okay? That's why I took my daughters to the Chapel on Cemetery to learn how to drive in there because I knew they couldn't kill anyone in there. All I'm saying is there are levels of growth and maturity that you can take of your own initiative. Here's a, here's a little tip. Do it before you're asked. And then when your mom or your dad says, hey, what about so-and-so? Oh, I already did it. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> They're not telling me what to do. I already did it. And, and you go on from there. Now, this, the flip side of that is parenting. Parenting with this model right here. Because the mistake that many times we as parents make is, is we're, we're like, we're over-parenting. We're like, we're like uh, worrying about, we're like that nanny that has to tell the five-year-old, you know, how to wipe their behind, except he's not five anymore. He's 17. So quit telling him every little thing. You're not helping him. That's not good. That's not healthy. What, what do we call it? There's a word for that in our vernacular. What do you call that when parents are like over-parenting? What do they call it? That's not healthy. You're not doing the, your child any favors by somehow making them codependent where, oh, they really need me. They can't make it without me. When they were in diapers, okay. When they were three and four and five and six and seven, yeah. Uh, I've seen plenty of 10-year-olds raise themselves, and they didn't do too bad of a job. Now, that's not ideal. <laughs> you want the affirmation and of a parent and everything like that. But it would be healthier for us as parents to step back because this child, they are your child, but they are not a child anymore. And you need to step back and just let them, let them make a few mistakes. Let them, let them figure it out. That's much healthier than just this micromanaging thing that is really not, it's not a good motivation. That's not going to motivate them to move forward in this new year and just take the world on by storm. If 
every time they, you know, you're communicating with them multiple times a day and checking with them on all of these different things. Now, we homeschool our children, and that can be a problem. That's one of the things you have to manage as a homeschooler is like not over homeschooling. And, and it's all age-related, and it takes the wisdom of Solomon to figure it out, you know. So my last one's graduating this year. She can read and write, so I'm good. <laughs> I feel successful. But it's something that, you know, I mentioned it so that we're aware of it. Because, you know, and I'll just say this, and I'll get off my high horse. I've seen it more than once. What ends up happening, moms, when you're over-parenting, your teenage son, it, it sows seeds of resentment because they're not seven anymore. They're more man than they are child. So if I can say this in love, and I care about every single one of you, back off. Just back off and pull your mommy's skills in a little bit, and they will be much better off. They'll be happier. So how does this happen? spiritually speaking, because, um, because there's two ways to go about this. But let me just show you how it happens, okay? How do we go from being the spiritual child who, um, and some of you, you know, um, you, you grew up under this kind of a system. Maybe your parents just like were very oppressive and they were always telling you what to do and you could never please them. And, and it was just like constant and, and so you grow up in this very rigid frame of mind where everything has to be a certain way, and if it's not, it's no good. And that's, that's, a, that's a hard way to live, where you feel like you're never good enough, and you're never... Uh, and then some of you perhaps grew up in, a, in more of a, in a spiritual environment like that, where, where there's all of these rules, and you're, you're told every single thing. You're, you read your Bible, and come to church, and pray, and it's like, you know, it's just beat down on you in this very, really, I would say, a very immature fashion where, where it's this external person, like this nanny who's telling you all of these things you have to be doing, and, and so, and so you, you know, when you, you read your Bible because you have to, and you go to church because you have to, and you'll feel guilty if you don't, and that is not a good motivation. That, that it doesn't really carry you the length of distance you need to go in your spiritual walk, and it's not a very enjoyable trip to begin with. So, but there's something better, and, and it's this whole adult thing. But let's see how we get there in verse 6. I'm sorry, in verses 4 and 5. Now, these might seem familiar to you as I read them because we've read them on Christmas Day. And that's really what kind of led me to this whole message, and I'm going to speak on it again next week because uh, it's so important uh, and I think in this new year, that we, you know, we just remind all of us and, and encourage all of us to move forward in life and in our spiritual walk in a healthy way, in a way that is more positive and um, enjoyable and what would be more honoring and pleasing to God. God doesn't want you to follow him because you have to. That's just not it. And we see that, we'll see that in just a minute, but notice how we get here in verses 4 and 5. Notice what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, so we were, for years, for, for centuries, the, the people of God were spiritual children. They were under this, the tutelage of the law, and it was very strict, and it was very, uh, 
bondage-bearing, and it was very difficult. And then he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God changed it all by sending forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as adult sons. So God sent his son, God the Father sent God the Son, who came down and was born on Christmas Day, and then he was born under the law. He was, he was Jewish. So he was born under all that, that, that oppressive regime, and he kept all of the laws. He kept them all. He checked every box. I mean, when he was eight days old, they circumcised him. Check. When he was 30 days old, they took him to the temple and they offered a sacrifice because every male child had to be redeemed. And we know that they were poor because they offered a sacrifice of doves. They redeemed their male child, their firstborn male child. Check. And when he was 12, he he began to travel every year with his stepfather, Joseph. They traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover every year. They, They walked 90 miles to observe the Passover because he was a 12-year-old boy. Check. And all of them, check, check, check. He checked off every single box. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And then they crucified him. He had done nothing wrong. He had done everything perfectly right. And they crucified him, not for his wrongs, but for your wrongs and my wrongs. All of the times that we didn't check off the box, that we failed And we fall short, and he paid for all of our failures and our sins. And then he rose again from the dead, a triumphant Savior. And when we trust in him as our Savior, the moment we trust in Christ as our Savior, then something miraculous happens. Something miraculous happens. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our hearts and he transforms our hearts and he gives us a heart, a new heart that desires to please God. He gives us new desires where we, we want to follow God. We want to please our Father. We want to, we want to um, go to the house of God. We want to read the Word of God. We want to be around the people of God because First Peter or Second Peter says that he actually gives us a little bit of his divine nature. It is inside of us. So we have these new desires so that we don't do these things because we have to. We do them because we want to, because we love God. That's what happened. And that's what he tells us in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again, if you would. And because you are adult sons, you have to put a parenthesis in there, and, and you are adult children of God. So, in verse 3, we were children, and we were bound. We were like oppressed. It was like, you know, everybody telling us what to do, and we have to do it. We're forced to do it. It's external pressure people telling us. And now, in verse 6, now, no. Now, now we're adult sons. We do things because we know to do them, and we want to do them. We're mature. We're responsible. And... And there's something in us. And that's what he goes on to say. He said, God sent forth the spirit of his sons, of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. 
he creates within us a desire for God and a desire to please God. And that word, Abba, Father, yes, it is a 70s pop band. But that's not what Paul was talking about, okay? Paul was uh, talking about something very different. We, we looked at, a few weeks ago, about the Bible as God's Word. And one of the things we said is that the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew, but a little bit of Aramaic. And then we said that the New Testament was written in, in common Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. And Aramaic, you don't hear about that much. Aramaic, I don't even know if I, if I know exactly how to this. Aramaic is kind of like a, a, a brogue of Hebrew. It's like this, this, like this street Hebrew and it's like this uh, very familiar, earthy kind of a language that the masses of, in Israel spoke, the Jewish people, the poor people, the country people. It was like the very familiar. And, and in Jesus' day, most Jewish people, scholars tell us that most Jewish people spoke Greek and Aramaic. Many of them did not even speak Hebrew. Hebrew was more for the rabbis and the educated, and they could read the scrolls in the Hebrew. This wasn't something... Most Jewish people, Jesus, very likely, spoke Greek and he spoke Aramaic. And this word Abba is, the, is Aramaic for daddy. That's the word. And so Paul is saying, the Spirit has come inside of you, and he has placed within you this love and this longing for dada. For someone that, a father, a good father, that when you were a very tiny child, he loved you, he, he, he gave attention to you, he, he cared about you, he helped raise you, and then as a, and you called him dada. And he was there for you. He was present. And you, he was your dad, dad. And you loved your dad, dad. And if he had a truck, you wanted a truck for Christmas. And if he had a green tractor, you wanted a green toy tractor that you could ride around in. And that was your dad, dad. And, and you just like wanted to be like him. You wanted to please him. And when he came in the door from work, you like hit the door and you grabbed him by his leg. And that's your dad, dad. And then you turn like 13 or 14, and, and he's like teaching you how to shoot a gun, and he's like taking you hunting and fishing, and you're, you know, he's teaching you how to drive when you're only 13 because he's dada. And you don't call him, you call him dad, and you love your dad. And then you're like 17 and 18, and he's like teaching you the family business. You're like watching him do business deals and all that, and you have deep within your soul this loving respect in admiration for your dad, and so you seek to honor him and please him, and you do it because it's in you. It's in you. And Paul is saying, that's how you're to follow Christ. That's what it means to be a child of God. Now, you think about that. Think about your relationship with God. And I'm not, I'm not um, trying to make you feel bad, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to just maybe think of how it could be different, maybe. You think about the relationship you have with authority figures in society. And what's that, what's that feels like from your side? You know, you have, um, yes, sir, Mr. Boss. And you may have a good boss, you may have a bad, I've had some bad bosses. I had some boss when I was in... When I was uh, about 18 years old, man, <laughs> I don't even know why. I was like a doormat to that guy, and I just took it like an idiot. 
Mr. Boss, okay, Mr. Boss. Yes, ma'am, Mrs. Boss. Or what about you get pulled over? Yes, sir, Mr. Officer. Yes, sir, Mr. Officer. So, yes, sir, Mr. Judge. I mean, that's like, oh, yeah. You're standing before a judge, and that's like, whew. And you're like down here, and you're like, oh, you're nervous. You're a nervous wreck, right? But, but there's other relationships you can have with authority people in your life that aren't quite so cold and harsh and you know, like structured where you're like this child that they're looking down on. Well, you could be something like, yes, ma'am, Mrs. Teacher. Now, a teacher could go either way, you know, depending on the how, how good of she is at teaching in a nurturing way. Or what about this? Yes, coach. Yes, coach. Yeah, that's, that's a whole different thing. Yes, coach is a whole different ball game, no pun intended, than Yes, officer. I mean, if you have a good coach. I mean, I had good coaches and I had some bad coaches too, but if you have a good coach, there's a warmth, right? There's a warmth there. There's a respect, and you listen and you follow, but you want to please your coach. You just want to do well, and they're coaching you. It could be, yes, father, or it could be, yes, dad. Right away, dad. Yes, Dada, that's the way it's supposed to be with God. There's a, there's a respect, but it's a warmth, and, it's a, and it's, a, it's a desire to please him. And the bottom line is, many people, of, many of us did not grow up with that concept of God. We did not. God was this ogre. He was the mean man in the sky with a celestial two-by-four that any time I took one step, it's like, whack! There's some law against that. that. I don't even think that's the Old Testament God, but that's the God that we got to know, right? And Paul says that's a, that's a horrible way to go through the new year. That's just like, you don't want to, to build your life that way. Not because you have to. It's because you want to. So what do you do with that? Well, you, you think about it. You think about what I've said today. Think about it for all week long. You wrestle with it. Read this passage a couple of times. But then just recognize. The first thing is just to recognize what I'm saying. Just see what Paul was writing about. Just to see the difference. And then what you do is, is you, you recognize that, oh yeah, that over there, that was not the best way. The Old Testament law, God gave it to them, and it was for his purposes. And you can read chapter 3, it did its job, but it was limited. And when you've grown up under legalism, just, let's just say what it is. It was not good. It was not right. It was not what the Bible teaches. So you can call a spade a spade. And then what you do is you just find yourself in verse 6, and all you do is you just let your heart love God. Just love Him. Love Him for all that He's done for you, for the magnificent God He is. We sang about Him today. And just love Him and worship Him and love His Word. Read the Bible as much or as little as you want. When I started doing that, when I just started reading the Bible, when I was done reading, I just closed it. 
That's all I want to read today. You know what I found out? I was reading the Bible a whole lot more. <laughs> because I wanted to. Not because I would feel guilty if I didn't. It might seem like a small change. But is it really? Paul said, it's like the difference between a five-year-old brat that has to be told by his nanny to, to, to every little thing he has to do and a, an adult 27-year-old man who is responsible and does what is right and he has integrity and he has honesty and he does a hard day's work and he can make wise business decisions and he can move forward in a confident way that his father could say, yeah, you can run this business. That's the difference between these two models. It's not even close. Love God. Love him with all of your heart. Just love him more and receive his love more. Let's bow together for prayer.